Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week and ready for another half hour of studying the Bible, learning about uh, what our viewers want to know and what the Bible says about those questions. So that's the format of this program. If you're a first-time viewer, uh, if you've ever wondered anything about the Bible, if you uh, maybe you've got it all figured out and know exactly what it means, but most folks have a few questions. If you have a question, uh, we'd be happy to try to answer it for you. A lot of folks have things going on in their lives, or they look at the news and see all of the moral dilemma in this country. Uh, they wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? Well, we're happy to try to find an answer to any of those things for you. And uh, you direct the program. You make the list of questions for us, and that's what we do for 30 minutes. Phone number and a website are on the screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime you want to get in touch with us. Uh, give us your question or tell us what you'd like us to try to explain, and we'll give it a shot. Uh, I do some of it, and my friend Toby Levering does the rest of it. So good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're back and <coughs> studied up and ready to go. Um, got lots of good ones coming up today, but we always start with one for our viewing audience, let you see if you know a little bit of Bible uh, history. Uh, what meat did God give Israel in the wilderness? After they had left Egypt, they got hungry for meat. They'd been eating manna for a long time, and they said, we'd like something a little different. God provided it for them, and uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know it. All right, Toby, I think you drew the first one, so... I have a where does it us, say question, and we always appreciate in. those. Where does it <laughs> say we are to obey God's laws when they conflict with man's laws? And we have said that from time to time on this program. I think in particular because of the culture that we live in, sometimes Christians are at odds, uh, have to choose between what God says and what human beings say. And that's not a new situation. Uh, many cultures down through the ages have decided that they know better than God. And the uh, command and the example that we're given in the scriptures, both Old Testament and New, is that when you come to a point where those two intersect, you always take the path uh, that is commanded by God. Uh, the one that is directed by Him is the one that is best. And God's going to take care of you uh, no matter what happens. Uh, Christians, I will hasten to say, should... Uh, seek as much as possible to obey the governing authorities. Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 is very clear on this, that we have an obligation uh, to be uh, upstanding citizens, to obey the law, to honor those in authority. Uh, we shouldn't be open, openly rebellious or antagonistic, uh, that we shouldn't uh, uh, intentionally try to buck the system. Our goal is to live peaceably, if at all possible. Uh, now, <clears throat> There will be times, based on your beliefs and convictions in what the Bible says, in what God teaches, and what the Spirit uh, uh, convicts us, that uh, we must uh, do what God says instead of what those uh, governing <laughs> authorities say. And when those 
things happen, uh, we just have an obligation to stick with God and to trust Him uh, rather than human beings. Uh, there are many characters in the Bible that uh, were disobedient to human authorities and laws, not all the time, but when it came to a matter of uh, between them and God, they always chose God. Uh, the greatest example I can think of is Daniel, and he was an upstanding leader. He was uh, dragged away into captivity. Uh, he was an upstanding, he was smart, he was intelligent, he was handsome. He was a tremendous leader, and uh, the, even people who hated him couldn't find anything against him. They said, you're only going to find one thing wrong with this guy. It, it's got to be about his religion, because on that, he is not going to move. He's not going to change. And so they tried to get him. They made a law against him praying to anyone else but the king. And Daniel said, you know, he didn't change anything. He just kept right on praying to God because he knew God was going to take care of him. And he did. There are many examples of that in Scripture, and uh, the, I, those examples are there for our benefit. Uh, let's look at one last one in Acts chapter 5, the example of Peter and John, verses 28 and 29 of Acts 5. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And so there are going to come times when that happens, and uh, when those times come, you stand firm and uh, trust in God to do what's right. That's the right answer. Always. <laughs> never, never wrong. Hasn't, hasn't changed very much. Never wrong to do right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Viewer wants to know if I believe something. Uh, and pretty well had to ask it this way because the Bible doesn't say much about it. Do you believe the stories about people dying and then returning to life after a short time in heaven? Well, the Bible doesn't really give us any stories about that in one sense. There's a couple of folks that uh, got a glimpse of heaven, and uh, we'll talk about them with those in a moment. But let me make a distinction here. As I understand it, and I don't spend a whole lot of time studying this, I'll admit, uh, you hear of a lot of people that were in a very serious situation, a near-death experience, if you want to call it that, uh, where they went out or maybe even legally, technically, uh, their heart went flatline for a while or something, and then they were immediately revived. And uh, they say, they some of them tell about seeing a tunnel with light or some light beings and, uh, and all of that, uh, a near-death experience, let's say. Uh, I don't discount those. I don't understand them. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us about them, so we don't know what the answer is. I don't know if they really see some kind of heavenly light, uh, get a glimpse into the spirit world, uh, or if they're just dreaming. Uh, if they're a religious person, they may have been taught that all their life and uh, know that's what they're going to see when they do die, and so maybe they dream it. I don't know. Uh, and I can't judge that. I just don't discount it. I think it's perfectly possible that in that state their mind gets some vision of the, the afterworld in some way. Now, to me there's a distinction between that and the folks that are writing books that claim they died and for three days they spent in heaven or 48 hours in heaven or something like that and give these detailed accounts of what heaven was like. Uh, no, I do not believe those. Uh, the reason I don't believe those is because in the Bible, the few stories that we do have about somebody that got a glimpse of heaven, 
they couldn't tell about it. Uh, they certainly didn't come back and write a book about it to make a lot of money. Uh, they weren't allowed to tell. Let me just read you one verse together here, Second uh, Corinthians 12. And Paul's talking about himself, but he won't even say that he did it. He just says, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. He said, this man was caught up to paradise, the third heaven. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Okay, there's where I get my belief on this subject. Uh, Paul got to see enough of heaven, uh, the, the, the third heaven where God is and the throne room and all that, uh, he, but he couldn't tell about it. They're, they're inexpressible things. He wasn't allowed to come back and tell us about it. So if the Apostle Paul wasn't, then I find it hard to believe that the average Joe that writes a book uh, got permission to come back and tell all about heaven. I just don't think that happens. Uh, another example is Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. Uh, and when he came back, he didn't tell a thing about it as far as we know. He didn't set out on a speaking tour and explaining to people what he saw in heaven or try to write a book or anything else. He just was quiet as far as we know. So, no, I don't believe the ones that claim they've been there for a while and can tell us all about what it looks like and all that. Um, can't prove it, but I don't think they can either. So I guess we're at a standstill there. <laughs> all right, Toby, your turn. Uh, the question <laughs> is, why do you, uh, why do we rather call Paul an apostle when he doesn't qualify under Acts 1 verse 21? Well, this is an astute question. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 21, which I think would be helpful to our discussion, let's read this together. Uh, this is in replacing Judas Iscariot, and the early church is replacing one of the apostles. And we're told, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from baptisms, from, the, from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taking, taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so I've always called that the two qualifications. They had to, to have been with Jesus and they had to be a witness uh, so that they could uh, testify to uh, the resurrected Jesus. Um, one way of viewing it, some people say, well, how do we know Paul wasn't with them? Well, I don't, I don't think that he was, but uh, to me that's kind of a stretching argument, if you will. Uh, I'm going to actually go ahead and say, I, I think you're right. According to those qualifications, Paul doesn't meet that. Um, that was the, the system that the apostles set up for setting up leadership within the church. Now, <clears throat> what was Paul? Paul was a special case. And he had a very uh, unique qualification. <laughs> that is, the Lord called him specifically. In Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, um, there's a story of Ananias having this conversation with Jesus. And he says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the people in, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest those who call on your name. So Ananias is saying, whoa, Jesus, are you sure you've got the right Saul here? Do you know who you're, who you're picking out here? And what's Jesus' response? Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. 
So that's the, the biggest qualification that Paul had, and not necessarily the meta qualifications of Acts chapter 1, but that he was uniquely <coughs> called uh, by Jesus himself. Uh, then <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 13, 15, verses 3 through 8, Paul would even probably agree with you. And speaking of the resurrection, he says, For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ uh, died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and he goes on to say, and last of all to me, also as to one abnormally born. He's saying, I, I know I don't fit here. I'm, I'm the one of these guys that's not like the others. He goes on to say, for I'm the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me is not without effect. And that to me is not only the calling of Jesus, but the grace of Jesus Christ and two powerful things that made Paul qualified. And that's the lesson that I think uh, the reason Paul was an apostle is because God anointed him and showed him grace. Uh, God doesn't many times call the qualified, but um, nearly every time he qualifies the called. Now let's look at, finish up by reading Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 together, where Paul said to the church at Galatia, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so he was an apostle, uh, but he was just uh, had a little more unique calling than the other 12. So. <laughs> And I wouldn't discount anything you said, and I think that's what made him an apostle and all that. Uh, I've always thought that he also met the other qualification. He didn't it, he didn't hang out with the apostles and yeah. follow them, but he was seeing everything they saw. Yeah. Uh, he was such a strict Jew that when a new teacher arose, I'm sure he went out to John's baptism to see who this guy was. <laughs> uh, and I don't have a verse that says that, right. but he followed Jesus' life. He, he knew this was a radical teacher and made his mind up that he wasn't the Messiah mm. uh, and decided to persecute him and all that. And then he certainly saw him after his resurrection. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. So in one sense, I think <laughs> yeah. he knew the story of Jesus. Yeah. He was an eyewitness of how things happened there in Galilee. And I think he could probably qualify under that. But when God says, I called him, you don't need many other qualifications. You, if that's all you got, that, you, that serves just you, fine. Your resume is good, I think. <laughs> all right, let's uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. And uh, we try to help folks get started in Bible study a little bit of our time every week. And uh, we get some materials that we'll send to you in the mail. And they are absolutely free. Uh, I know that that makes a few folks nervous that have watched Christian television before and uh, they get a free offer and they'll send their name in or their uh, address or something and all of a sudden their mail is full of all sorts of uh, requests for money and they just get overwhelmed with uh, envelopes and things wanting money and give us, give us your social security number and we'll take care of everything for you. Uh, not going to happen with Know Your Bible Study materials. We've got some good ways to study the Bible. We want people to study the Bible and that's what we provide them for. So we'll, yes, we'll need your address and name and we'll send them straight to you and uh, you can study them and return them as long as you want to and when you're uh, done studying or tired or decide you've learned enough uh, or get too busy in life, sometimes that happens. We get other 
things come up in life. We have to be a caregiver for a while or something, and we, we can't study as much as we did. Uh, you can stop anytime you want, and we won't bother you in any way. When you're ready to resume, let us know, and we'll help you do that. So we just want you to study the Bible. This is a great way to do it. Phone number, website, use those anytime you want. Tell us you'd like that free course, and the class course number one will come your way pretty quickly. All right, next question. Uh, turning the cheek, the other cheek. Matthew 5, 38, 44. Turning the other cheek. How does that go together with the death penalty? If we're supposed to turn the other cheek when people uh, bother us, then why would there be such a thing as a death penalty? Well, two different worlds. Two different worlds. And let's uh, first tell you the world. One is uh, the role of a Christian, the uh, the world of being a Christ follower, and then there is society at large and how it works. God tells us how society works best, and He tells us what to do as Christians. He realizes there's two different worlds there. So let's read the verse that the reviewer is talking about. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said, and this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, God, Jesus was talking about the Old Testament law of vengeance. Uh, repaying evil for evil if you want. And the rule was to limit it. If somebody hurt you in some way, uh, if they knocked your tooth out, well you had the right to go punish them. Uh, but you were limited to whatever they did to you. So Jesus said that's one way of looking at it. But I say, no, don't seek vengeance on people. Uh, if people uh, offend you, hurt you, persecute you, uh, don't try to hurt them back. Uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You don't seek it. So what he was changing was the concept of how his people handled personal uh, affronts. He changed that personal reaction. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, if someone murdered somebody in your family, then the oldest son or the father was the blood avenger, and they were supposed to go find that person and kill them. Yet it was a personal thing. Uh, in the New Testament, God changed that to the responsibility of the government. And in Romans 13:1, he said, The government has the right to put people to death. They bear the sword, not in vain. Okay. And that goes to the principle of society working best when we punish evildoers. Okay. And that law was established when Noah came off the ark, Genesis 9. God said, now here's the way the world's going to run. If you take someone's life, if you shed human blood, because humans are made in the image of God, they're so special that if you shed their blood, by man shall your blood be shed. In other words, you need to be put to death. You forfeit your right to live in society. Well, we argue about all sorts of things today about whether death penalty is a deterrent or not and all that. I guarantee you it is because God said it was. It teaches the value of life, the sanctity of life. If you take a life, you forfeit your own. Now, it obviously doesn't deter anybody today. Uh, number one, because we don't do it. We don't exercise the death penalty hardly ever. And we certainly don't exercise it quickly. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, if you don't 
carry out the sentence quickly, then people scheme and come up with all sorts of wrong things to do. Uh, so quick punishment is a requirement, and we certainly don't do that. We don't execute anybody for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years after the crime. Uh, so we're not, ex we're not practicing it, so we don't know if it deters anything or not. But it does because God said so. Anyhow, that's the two worlds. Personal world of a Christian, somebody hurting us, uh, turning your other cheek, and I, and I don't think that goes as far as letting them take your life and all that. I think we've got the right of self-defense and a few other things, but when somebody offends you or hurts you in some minor way, don't, don't try to get even with them. Let God have vengeance. But the government has the right of the death penalty. Oh, the next question is about baptism, and uh, they ask, what does the Bible say about the form of baptism, sprinkling, and etc.? Well, uh, when you look at the word baptism in the English translation, what you're looking at is a transliterated word, which basically means we took the original word and kind of anglicized it so that it could be readable in English. And the reason that that was done, starting with the King James translation, was that when they, they were going to put the, translate the word to its meaning of to be buried, to be dipped, to be uh, plunged underneath, uh, the old king didn't like that. That wasn't how he had been baptized, and so he just said transliterated. And so we had the word baptism, and so people have today in the English an understanding of baptism that means lots of different things. But when you look at the original word in the Greek, baptizo, uh, is very clear. It, it means a burial, uh, to, to go underneath. Uh, there's stories of archaeological digs and, and they find uh, 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 accountings of events uh, we might call like a newspaper or a news item and the word baptizo is used in reference to floods or torrential rains. So we, we uh, 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 floods or I'm sorry not rains, uh, shipwrecks and things like that where it goes underneath. So uh, it's very clear from just any understanding of the word that it means to be immersed. And there's a lot of confusion, though, because the English is, says bab baptize. So what we need to help us out is an example. Let's go to Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 39. And this is the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to have a, several scriptures there, but, but read along with me. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch, now note this here, went down into the water. Okay. There was a reason that he didn't just take a handful of water and, or, or a cupful of water and pour it on him or sprinkle it on him. And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, it's another important uh, phrase there, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. We can see here this example. If you don't want to go into Greek word study, you can just look at it. Every time there's a baptism... Uh, where it's, there's enough description in the scripture, uh, they go down into the water and they're coming up out of the water. And so the act of being baptized is the act of being immersed. And that's what it says about the form. That's what the, what the word means. And uh, it's a, also a beautiful picture of what's happening in us. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. 
Don't you know, Paul writes, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be, re be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So that's what the Bible says uh, concerning the form of baptism. That's what the word baptism means. All righty. Thank you, Toby. A uh, question about creation here. And I think it's one that a lot of people uh, come up with when they first read the creation account. A viewer says, God said, let there be light. And then later made the sun and moon. Well, what's the difference? Uh, good question. Very good question. And let's just put the scriptures up there and look at the words as we go along. Genesis 1 uh, verse 3 is where the first thing happened and verse 14 is where the second thing happened. Uh, on day 1, then God said, let there be light and there was light. Then day 4, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and to give light on the earth. And it was so. All right, now let's look at verse 1 before we take this off. God said, let there be light. Before that, there was no such thing as light. The light itself, the uh, mysterious, I can't, I can't even decide what to call it because <laughs> scientists don't know what to call it. Uh, it behaves like different things in our universe. Light is a very special uh, it's not a substance. It's not a wave. It's light. And God made it. Before that everything was dark. He said, let there be light. So there was light in the universe. And then a few days later He made some sources of light. He made a lot of sources of light. He made a lot of stars. They, they emanate light. We have other sources of light today. You can strike a match and chemicals will make a light. They're sources of light. Uh, you can turn the light bulb on and the tungsten or whatever there is in there now <laughs> that doesn't work. Uh, the old days when tungsten was in there, you heat it up, makes a great light. It's a source of light. Uh, so that's the difference between the sun and moon and light itself is the sun is a source of light. Uh, the moon is a source of light. It's a reflection of light. So it is a source also at nighttime for us. And remember why he said he made them. You, you use these things for seasons and years and harvests and figuring out things. Well, we do that. The Mayans figured out that. Uh, astronomers today figure out this tells us when the season's coming and we can see when the eclipses are coming and all that. So light the source and light itself are two very different things. All right, we're out of time for any questions or anything else today, but let's make sure we get our trivia question answered. And that question was about uh, the meat that God gave Israel in the wilderness. What kind of meat did He give? Uh, and I would have liked to have been there because He sent them all the quail they could handle. He sent winds, blew, blew in coveys of quail in huge numbers. And they got a pretty fancy dinner that night, a good quail feast, and uh, he treated them pretty well with all of that quail. We're glad you've been with us today. If you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, it'd be a good day to do that. Give us a call or log on and tell us you'd like it. We'll get it started. Uh, if you got a question for us, call that in. We'll get, uh, get that on in the weeks ahead. 
We're glad you've been with us today. Uh, we'll be back next week answering some more questions. We've got some good ones uh, that you've given us in the weeks prior, and we hope we get to them next week. We'll see you next week on Know Your Bible. Hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.